0: Hey, welcome to the Crosspoint Church Podcast. I'm Rob Chartrand, the lead pastor of the church. We're a church that's for the city in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, and are passionate about helping people find their way back to God. Hey, if you're new, I'll have a bit to say at the end of the podcast, but in the meantime, let's listen to this Sunday's message. Good morning, everyone. And good morning for those of you joining us online at home. It's so good to be together today as the people of God. And some of you I have not seen for a long time, and I'm brimming over with uh, excitement and almost tears. So anyway, so good to see you all this morning. I'm wearing an orange shirt. Yeah. Uh, And it is a Kids Capers shirt, and that's because starting tomorrow, we get to launch our Kids Capers camps. Yes, you can be excited about that. For those of you who maybe are new at part of the Crosspoint community, we've been doing this for, I don't know, eight years, nine years, a long time. And uh, we understand that disciples are people who live on mission. That's one of our five marks of a disciple. And Kids Capers is part of our corporate discipleship experience of being the people of God on mission. We know that God loves this community and therefore, we too want to love this community and serve this community. And so Kids Capers is one of the ways that we do that. And we're so excited that kids are going to be gathering. I know a lot of you have um, taken time to be part of this. I think we've got like 20 plus volunteers involved who are joining with us tomorrow. I'm actually going to be volunteering at Kids Capers for the first time ever. I am going to be the storyteller for the next week. So um, keep your kids at home. Yes. It's gonna be fun, fun. Uh, yeah, so I'm I'm pretty stoked about Kids Capers this year. I'm so thankful that we get to do it again, and uh, I want to invite you to pray with me. And to pray for what uh, is going to happen through Kids Capers this week in the lives of kids, in the lives of those who are there, and just in, in the spirit in this community uh, uh, of what God is going to begin to birth and do. So can we, can we join together and believe together? Let's pray. Father, we are, are so thankful for this opportunity to partner with you in your redemptive mission in the world as the people of God. And so, God, we are asking today that you would um, open the hearts and the minds of kids and families in this community so that they can see the love of God in a very tangible and real way. We pray, God, that through this week of Kids Capers, you would birth new relationships with people from the community. You would birth faith in the hearts of kids. You would birth a vision in the hearts of all of us to love this community well, this community that you love. And so, God, do your work this week. We are trusting you uh, for good things and for great things. And we thank you that you go before us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, hey... Um If you're just joining us, we are continuing our teaching series, The Embodied Life. And uh, during this series, we're going to be exploring what are called the one-anothers of Scripture uh, this summer. Uh, You'll you'll find uh, these body-life commandments sprinkled throughout the New Testament that describe how the people of God can live together and how we can reflect God's image in the world. So last week, we looked at uh, Amanda did such a great job. Didn't Amanda do a good job? Like, come on! I mean, she was a rookie, but she didn't do any rookie moves. She did just such a great job. Uh, so she talked about bearing one another, okay, and what that means. Uh, today, um, our one another verse is found in 1 Corinthians sixteen twenty, and I'm just right out. I'm just going to read it for you, okay? All the brothers send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. How many of you? That's your favorite verse in Scripture. Anyone? Okay, I mean, how many of you have how many of you have, you you come across this verse before? You ever seen this verse before? Okay, um, how many of you have heard a sermon about this verse before? Oh, a okay. couple people. Oh, okay, All right. verse by verse uh, preaching. A couple people. Well, here's what I found. I've never heard of a sermon about it. I couldn't find a sermon about it. Uh, if you go through the list of one another's that are often sent out to churches, you know, like you, you know, what I, this one's often omitted, and and for maybe for good reason. I'm not sure, but you often don't hear this one talked about when you talk about the one another's. It's often missed. It's often ignored, and that's why I want to talk about it. Yeah. Uh, as a matter of fact, I, as I was looking through this, I was doing like a deep dive on this verse. I was geeking out because this is this is such a great verse. Uh, so I was I'm really interested in doing a deep dive with you this morning. And I will admit that what I'm going to share with you this morning is more musings or ponderings. um, That my thoughts on this idea are still continuing to develop. But I appreciate you going with me along on the journey this morning. As you know, in our sermon series, we try to keep our sermons a little bit shorter. And so this is more of a reflective sermon. And thanks for coming along. So here's the question. What is a holy kiss? What is a holy kiss? Well, the holy kiss was actually a common practice in the early church. Um, and it, it, it eventually became part of their worship liturgy, at least by the second century. So it's actually mentioned five times. This, this commandment is this one another. It's actually mentioned five times in the New Testament. We'll just throw it up on screen. You can see the, the different verses there and, and uh, where they're found. Um, You'll notice that Peter doesn't use the term holy kiss. He instead uses a different phrase. He uses the kiss of love. Um, but he still has the same implied meaning. He's still giving the same commandment. And, and we learn a few obvious realities when we look at these verses, okay, uh, about the holy kiss. First of all, it was a, some sort of form of greeting, some form of welcome within the church. Second, it was an actual kiss, okay? So it was a physical kiss, not metaphorical kiss, okay? Not a Hershey's chocolate kiss, okay? Um, it was shared by everyone, okay? So this instruction was given to everyone in the church. Introverts did not get a buy on this one, okay? Those of you who want, don't want people in your personal space, everyone did this thing, okay? Finally, it had a special meaning. So it wasn't just any old kiss. It wasn't a sloppy wet kiss, um, <laughs> It wasn't a holy, ki- it was a holy kiss, it was a, it was a kiss of love. Now, I understand that for many of us. The thought of kissing fellow believers in Christ might seem a little bit weird, all right? For some of you, it might just seem a little bit downright creepy, okay? Uh, especially during COVID. I mean, this is not the time for us to be kissing each other, okay? It's, it's bad enough that we're speaking moistly, kissing moistly might not be a good idea, am I right? Am I right? Yeah. But for some of you, kissing as a form of greeting might actually be normal because you might actually be from a part of the world or from a culture that greeting other people with a kiss is just what you do. Or you might even be here today and you're from a family of kissers. Okay, your family are just kissers when they greet one another. That's not my family, but that might be your family. And it's actually interesting is that uh, Karen's does have... A certain branch in her relatives who are kissers, okay? And I mean, like not just cheek kissers, I'm talking lip kissers, right? Like full frontal kissing, mustache and all, delicious, right? That's she has that in her family line. And and listen, I'm that's completely normal for them. I'm not judging, but I think if I tried to kiss one of my siblings, I would get a beat down in a hurry, right? This is not gonna happen in my family. So, how do we make sense of this one another, right? I mean. I think it's important that we look at it in its context. See, in that culture, in that day, it was a common practice to actually kiss someone when greeting them or when departing away from them. Kissing as a form of greeting is actually found in the Old Testament and it's found in the New Testament. And it wasn't just the people of God who practiced it. The Greeks practiced it. The Romans practiced it. Kissing as a form of greeting was normal. And typically in that culture, men kissed men and women kissed women. Now, there was, one, there was one ancient historian that wrote that if a person was your equal, you'd kiss them on the lips. If the person wasn't your equal, you'd kiss them on the cheeks. And if a person was very, very inferior, they would kiss you on the feet. Now, we don't know for sure what the holy kiss was. However, a number of scholars believe that it would likely have been a kiss on the lips. And this is because, largely, of the way that Christians understood themselves... It's how they understood themselves in proximity towards each other. In the early church, the Christians had a very deeply held belief in family. They understood that as believers in Christ, they were equals. They were siblings. They were kin. And so the practice of the Holy Kiss was actually an extension of a fundamental Christian doctrine. The Christian doctrine known as spiritual adoption. What is spiritual adoption? Spiritual adoption means that through, Je- through faith in Jesus Christ, we are no longer enemies with God, but rather through Jesus Christ, we have been born again and we've been adopted into a new family, into God's family. So because of this... We are children of God. We are sons and daughters of the Most High King. We are heirs of the Father. We are co-heirs with Christ. And this isn't because of what we've done, but it's because of what Jesus did on our behalf. So as the people of God, we are family. We are siblings. We are kin. I mean, take a moment and look to your left and your right. You have brothers and you have sisters. They're part of your family. So this was a deeply held belief in the, in the church. So holy kissing expressed kinship. It said, you are my brother, you are my sister. We are bound together in a way like no other. And because of this, I greet you. I welcome you. I embrace you. Now, this practice actually got Christians into hot water with the culture of their day. Uh, We we know that uh, by the second century, Christians were being persecuted empire-wide. Persecution was breaking out. Primarily, this was because of idolatry and and their unwillingness to participate in emperor worship or even dead emperor worship. Um, But by the second century, things had gotten really bad in persecution. And rumors began to spill out and to go around the empire about Christians. And one of these rumors was that Christians actually started to practice incest that they were getting together in their gatherings and having wild orgies. And this was because the empire essentially misunderstood the practice of holy kissing. I mean, there were other rumors as well. One of them was that Christians were cannibals because they ate the body and the blood of their Lord Jesus Christ, right? Um, So so the ancient... Uh, apologist justin martyr he wrote about this during the second century and, and and he was doing the best he could to try and defend the practices of christians to the empire so i just found this little excerpt i want to share with you i think it's really great he says and i asked this this is part of his apology his his argument i asked this have you also believed concerning us that we eat men and that after the feast having extinguished the lights we engage in promiscuous concubinage I mean, yeah, I mean, we think we are misunderstood by the culture, all right, as Christians today, right? I have yet to read a tweet that is accusing Christians of promiscuous concubinage. Now, here's a question. What did they do about members of the opposite sex? Did men just kiss men and women just kiss women? Well, we know for certain that by the second century, you could kiss members of the opposite sex in the church. We don't know Exactly. Um, So there's historical evidence of that. We don't know for sure whether or not that was practiced in the early church, but very likely it was. And you got to think about this. That's super taboo. I mean, it wasn't just that super taboo within a Jewish context. It was actually super taboo within a a Greco-Roman context as well. Um, Now, sometimes, sometimes this practice actually led to bad behavior. And that's the thing, is sometimes good ideas can lead to bad behavior. And there were people who were abusing the practice. And because they were abusing the practice, then leaders in the church actually had to step in. And so they wrote letters, they gave instructions, they created diagrams and flannel board type of presentations. No, I made that up, they didn't do that. But they did write letters and they did make declarations. Um, And they said, you need to be careful that your holy kiss doesn't become an unholy kiss. You need to make sure that it's done in love. You make sure that it's not romantic. And you kiss once, you don't kiss twice. Serious, they actually wrote letters to churches giving instructions on the holy kiss. Now, what is fascinating about this one another is that it's the only one that explicitly requires touch. All the other one-anothers imply touch, they might involve touch, but they don't explicitly require it. So hospitality could include touch. Think about that, having people over for dinner and whatnot. There could be touch involved, or or prayer. Sometimes there's a laying on of hands, and you know, prayer might involve touch, right? Encouraging one another might involve touch. But this is the only one another that requires it. It requires touch. It's very unique. And so I've been pondering this fact. Why would the church practice something that requires human contact? And, and what is the intersection between human touch and welcome? Well, you know, physical touch is a remarkable thing. When you think about it, I mean, you you have five basic senses, right? Sight, smell, hearing, taste, and, and, and touch. But did you know that the largest sense organ in your body is, in fact, your skin? You have, on average, 18 square feet of skin in your body. Some of you have a little bit more than others, okay? Some of you have been collecting a whole lot more over the years, and you're not sure what to do with the excess skin hanging from your body. I get that. Did you know that touch is the first sense organ to develop in the womb? And touch is the last sense organ to fade in later life. Touch is the once, one sense organ that you cannot turn off. You can plug your ears, you can close your eyes, you can plug your nose in your mouth, but you cannot turn off touch. Touch just goes on and on and on. It does not fade. Did you know that touch plays an important part in human development? It's amazing how God has designed us. Most of an infant's relational connecting this actually comes through touch at the beginning. This is why for babies, everything goes into the mouth, right? Because as it turns out, one of the most sensitive touch organs in your skin is is your mouth, your fingertips and your mouth. So everything's going into the mouth. And it's not because of taste, but it's because of tactileness. It's, what is this thing? I need to discover it. Touch is also an important part of a child's well-being. When infants and toddlers receive minimal touching from caregivers, the evidence demonstrates that it can lead to later cognitive and neurodevelopmental delays. Some studies have shown that touch deprivation can influence physical violence, sleep disturbance, suppressed immune response, and physical growth. But on the flip side, touch can also stimulate growth. Premies, premature babies, they've discovered that if if they want them to grow, if they want them to thrive, if they want them to survive, they touch them after they've come out and they find that they, they grow and they recover much quicker. And touch isn't just important for children. Touch is important for teens. Touch is important for adults as well. You know, there's a growing body of research that's demonstrating the therapeutic benefits of touch. It can be used to reduce pain. It can be used to relieve stress. Massage therapy has been used to help sufferers of abuse, PTSD, eating disorders, chronic fatigue, depression, and addiction. Touch is a powerful and remarkable thing. And you know, it's interesting how much touch was an important part of the ministry of Jesus. Jesus laid his hands on lepers and healed them in a world where touching the unclean was taboo. Jesus spit in the dirt and rubbed the mud into the eyes of a blind man. He allowed a woman to come in to touch his feet under the scorn and scrutiny of a Pharisee who said, that does not happen here. And she wet his feet with her tears and oil and her hair. She washed it. Jesus placed his hands on children. He prayed for them. And he did all of these acts in the face of judgment, scorn, and misunderstanding. On one of his last nights, he allowed John the Beloved, to lean in and to put his head on his chest. When Thomas doubted and didn't know what to do, Jesus appeared and he says, Look, Thomas, touch me. Touch my hands. Touch my body. Touch is healing. Touch is ministry. You know, a number of you um, know that many years ago, I, I suffered under panic attacks for a very short season. Um, the short of it is I had a near-death experience. I had blood clots in my legs, in my lungs. I thought I may die. And as a result of that, I wrestled with anxiety. My world was turned upside down. And I'm not an anxious person. And so it just I, I couldn't control it. I couldn't stop it. Sometimes I'd lay for hours in bed, just paralyzed with fear. Do you know what helped me get through that? The ministry of Touch. Sometimes as I laid in bed, Karen would just sit there beside me, just hold my hand. And sometimes she'd sing to me. Touch is ministry. Touch is healing. It was medicine for my troubled soul. And what's interesting is, friends, this is how God has designed us. This is how we've been wired. I mean, we were made for community. We were made for connection. But we're also made for contact. So it's it's no wonder that this one another has some semblance of touch. Now, I understand. Touch is a very touchy topic. Different cultures have different boundaries and meanings about touch. In, in some cultures, uh, say if you go to India, holding hands with your f- best friend who's, you know, who's the same sex as you and walking down the streets together is completely normal. In other cultures, kissing family members or or business acquaintances is a standard form of greeting. Um, In other cultures, if you touch the wrong person, you could lose your hand. All right. Touch is a touchy subject. In our own culture, touch is becoming increasingly taboo. You know, many of the institutions that we cherish have become sterile, touch free zones, and this is largely due to abuses and scandals and lawsuits. You know, a few months ago, while we were going through the darkest days of COVID, I read a fascinating book by Tiffany Field, and the book is called Touch. Field is the director of what's called the Touch Research Institute at the University of Miami School of Medicine. Her, 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 her school has, has done hundreds of studies on the effects of human touch. And here's what she has to say from her research on touch. She says this. She says, although the many therapeutic benefits of touch have been increasingly clear, Benefits such as decreases in stress and anxiety and the behavioral and biochemical manifestations and the positive effects that touch has on growth, brainwaves, breathing, heart rate, even the immune system. We still have touch taboos in the United States, insert Canada. A study we conducted on touch in preschool nurseries revealed that children under the age of five were being touched less than 12% of the time, even in model nursery schools. If touch is as critical for growth, development, and health as it appears to be in our studies, then we need more touch in our society. Now, she is not saying in the book that we should just remove all boundaries around touch. Of course, we need to protect the the vulnerable. Of course, it's important to honor people's personal space. She's simply pointing out this. Touching helps. And our society is touch deprived. And of course, COVID has not helped with this at all. I mean, in our darkest days of COVID restrictions, I mean, I I remember a friend saying to me that she hadn't had physical contact with another person for two months. No hugs, no handshakes, no high fives, no friends, no families, nada. Isolation, by herself, two months, no hugs. And she was lamenting the fact that the, the only way that she could actually get human contact was to drive to another province to see her parents so that she could get a hug. And that would happen once a month. You know, when I heard this, I was sad and, and, and I, I just thought, wow, because I get to go home to my wife and my, my kids are living in my basement suite and, and we're in the same household and we can hug and we can be together, right? But not everybody gets that luxury. Some of you today, you can resonate with this. I know that this has been a very hard year for so many of you and, and for some of you who are joining with us online as well. You know, here's something I didn't know until recently. City of Edmonton statistics. Did you know that 42% of people living in Edmonton over the age of 15 are single? So they're, they're not common law. They're not married. 42% of people age 15 and over in Edmonton are single. So so that could mean, what, 35% of adults in Edmonton are living single lives. Here's what else we discovered. 25% of the households in Edmonton are one-person households. One in four people in Edmonton are living Alone, alone, which makes me wonder how many people in our city, in this community, went months without touch. And if they have to work from home or their families live somewhere else, they went without any human contact for months. This has been a season of touch deprivation for so many people now i 'm thankful i 'm thankful that we, we are you know we had this pandemic in our present day. I mean digital technology has really helped to keep us connected hasn 't it i mean it 's been a good thing i can 't imagine going through the pandemic when it was the '80s okay Some of you never weren 't even born in the '80s. I get that, but I lived through the '80s I mean in the '80s I wrote letters by Karen by, to Karen by hand okay If I wanted to call somebody, there was one phone in the house with a really long cord and he had to go into the closet to talk privately okay. I mean, that was a different day. The communication, there were three channels on television if you didn't have cable, which was most people. One of the channels was in French, and Jean Paul Pallas, Paul Le Okay, I don't speak French, right? So I had two channels growing up, okay? I can't imagine what it would have been like to have gone through COVID in that day. So I'm thankful. I'm thankful for digital communication and the ability to, to, to be with people. But even with digital technology, it feels like we lost something under COVID. And this is the challenge with technology. And hear this it, technology tries to replicate, it seeks to imitate, but it cannot duplicate the real thing. Technology cannot duplicate presence or proximity. That's why when I'm up in the mountains and I'm breathing the air and I'm hearing the birds and I look and I see this amazing, pan, you know panoramic vista, I like, oh, I got to take a picture, you know? And my first thought is, I want to share this with somebody. And my second thought is, ah, but the picture just doesn't do it justice. Because digital technology, it cannot duplicate what the real thing is. I remember early in the pandemic, there were a number of church pastors who uh, in their podcast were so excited about what this pandemic was going to do for people. Right, because, because now all these churches are finally getting online and they're doing digital church and, and now we'll be able to reach so many more people and, and it's going to change everything. As a result of this, more and more people are going to stay away and they're going to stay at home and do digital church. And at that time, I was like, no, I don't think that's going to happen. And here I'm laying my cards on the table, but my thought was, I, I don't think that that's what's going to happen. I I think that people are going to get really, really tired of this digital church in a hurry. And they're going to want to get back together. Because we were designed for proximity. We were designed as beings who need touch. Digital technology is a helpful tool. And we're going to continue to use it at Crosspoint. I mean, it's been great to reach people. However, it's been a necessary compromise during COVID. It is not replaced. It cannot replace the real thing. Here's the thing. Is you cannot greet one another with a holy kiss through a screen. It, it's just not the same. I mean, you could try, right? But it's just not the same thing. So what am I trying to say this morning? It's time to land the airplane. Let me tell you what I'm not trying to say. First of all, I am not trying to say that we should bring back the holy kiss, okay? Some of you are like, Phew. others are like, <laughs> "Oh." No. No, we're not bringing it back, okay? I, I think it's important to understand this one another in its cultural context. It was practiced in a time and in a culture where kissing was a common form of greeting. It made sense at its day. But it's never to be understood as a timeless universal commandment for all time. And yet, and yet, I also think that the meaning behind it should not be readily abandoned. The meaning still matters even though the means has changed the meaning is simple welcome greetings you are family you are kin you belong here i accept you i embrace you because you're family and our task as a church is to say what is the cultural equivalent to this one another and i realize that's tricky because we're in a very diverse culture right There's people from so many different backgrounds who are part of our church and part of our culture today. You know, in some Christian traditions, the practice of the holy kiss was actually replaced. It was replaced by a practice known as the passing of the peace. And if you're from a traditional church background, you might be familiar with the passing of the peace. I had an opportunity a few years ago to go to Bermuda, and I was preaching in an Anglican church. And part of this worship service, they do it every single week. They have this time where it's called the passing of the peace. Everyone stands up, they mill around, and they shake hands, and they say, The peace of the Lord be with you. And then the person responds, and also with you. It's just a standard practice now. But it's a way of them saying, You are welcome here. I'm so glad you're here. Your family, your kin, Right, and in evangelical churches, we have our different ways of doing it. Stand up and greet someone next to you. Okay, I mean, we have our own versions. Okay, but the question is, the question is this: What does this new means look like? Well, for 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 us, maybe some more common forms of touch might be fist bumps, or hugs, or handshakes, or high fives. You know, I, I'm not, I'm not sure exactly what the means would look like, um, but those seem to be the way that we do it. But let me say this, finding a new means is not enough if the meaning is lost on us. I'll say that again. Finding a new means is not enough if the meaning is lost on us. Do you understand the meaning of the gesture? Do you understand that you are a child of God? Do you understand that you are sitting next to a child of God? Do you understand that they are your brother and your sister, and this will, there's no getting out of this. Your family forever. <laughs> okay, there's no way you're getting out of this. Your family, your siblings, your kin. It's not a sentiment, it's not a metaphor, it is an ontological reality. You are spiritually, eternally, supernaturally adopted into the family of God, and so is the other believer in Christ besides you. And you are co heirs with Christ, you are heirs of the Father, you are sons and daughters of the King, and that's good news. The question is, do you know this? In the deepest part of your hearts of hearts, do you know this and do you understand this? Let's not let the meaning be lost on us. What else am I not saying? I'm not making a statement about how we should respond to the COVID pandemic. Earlier this week, I wrote a post on Realm about our posture as we move into stage three of Alberta's reopening plan. We we know that this is one of the most uncertain times during the pandemic. And yes, we have been given the green light by the province to reopen. And we can move back into each other's personal physical spaces. But I also want to say this, is that not everybody else is ready to do that, and not everybody else is able to do that because of risks to themselves and those they care about. And I want to say during this time that hesitancy and uncertainty are not unreasonable. I will be the first to admit, I do not have a crystal ball in this. I cannot predict the future. I'm not going to even assume what's going to happen six months from now. I don't even know. I don't know. So I just want to say that when I say all of this this morning, I have to do this caveat. And it's unfortunate we have to do this during COVID, but we do. I do. I'm making this caveat. I am not making a statement about whether we should mask or not mask, whether we should vax or not vax, whether we should gather or not gather. I'm, I'm not making a declaration. I'm not taking a position. And I'll likely disappoint everybody. But I'm willing to do this. And I'm willing to do this for the sake of love, unity, and peace, which are far more important. All I'm doing this morning is I am simply painting a picture of the way things are supposed to be. It is a picture of presence and proximity with hugs and handshakes and high fives. It's a portrait of what it means to be human. We were created for community. We were made to be image bearers of our God. It's a vision of heaven and the hereafter. It's meant to be a signpost pointing towards our great and final hope at the end of all time. When we, the people of God, will be together for all eternity in a restored heaven and earth where there'll be no more crying, there'll be no more tears, there'll be no sickness, there'll be no more death. And my hope and my prayer is that we can be now who we will be one day. So my posture is going to be one of humility and welcome. Uh, we want to eliminate barriers. We, we want to listen. We want to work hard at peace and unity and community as we move towards being the family of God, embodied together in our homes, in our groups, in, in our gatherings. And, and I'll be honest, friends, I, I don't know how we'll get there. I, I don't know how long it's going to take. But I'm willing to go there. And I'm asking you to go there with me as God's people. To be in proximity and presence to be okay with handshakes and hugs and hand fives, high fives. And again, I'm not saying that it has to happen today, but that's the vision and the picture of the future. And I hope you'll go there with me. So let's find a cultural equivalent, an appropriate cultural equivalent in this time. Let's greet one another. Let's welcome one another. Let that be our heart and our posture. And for heaven's sake, please don't kiss me. Okay? (laughs) Let's pray. Our Lord Jesus, I, I thank you that you modeled for us presence and proximity. That you left the bosom of your Father to come and to dwell among us. You pitched your tent in our neighborhood and you moved in. You cried as a babe. You tripped as a child, and and you walked the streets of Galilee as an adult. Jesus, we want to be like you. We want to be your disciples, your followers. And so, Lord, show us how to live as brothers and sisters. Show us how to love each other deeply. Show us how to work towards peace and unity. And God, just showing the world how great you are, through our love for each other. So God, we, we commit ourselves to greet one another, to welcome one another, to embrace one another, even in these challenging, difficult times. And we thank you that you do the same for us, and we praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thanks for listening to our podcast.